In the middle of the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing and the resumption of the National Hockey League post All-Star Weekend, this is Ingold Radio, the podcast. So much to get to, including a high-profile retirement uh, from the NHL. Welcome, uh, Darren Millard, uh, with Ingold Radio, the podcast, presented by The Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, with the co-founders of Ingold Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Hutchison is wearing his hoodie on Vancouver Island, and uh, Woody's wearing a toque in the lower mainland. Uh, what's happening in the Great White North, gentlemen? It's not actually that cold. I just was, you know, my vintage goalie toque. I just felt like styling on the podcast, so you gotta you gotta represent the goalie union at all times. So it's good luck. You feeling a little chilly? I'm not chilly at all. It's a beautiful day on Vancouver Island. It was sunny. Able to go out for a walk without a coat on. It's uh, it's not quite Vegas, but. Oh, we had a couple of Vegas days this week. Uh, it was spectacular. Oh. Mid sixties, nice and warm out there. You could wear shorts. You could wear just whatever you wanted. It was just uh, nice and comfortable. I love going to into the men's league uh, rinks just wearing shorts and t-shirts. Just it's nice. Oh man, I had like the you know like the puffer the puffy jackets like the big thick lululemon puffy jacket i'm walking the dog with <laughs> yeah. the puffy jacket still darren that's not fair although we're almost into golf olympic season team jacket on woody no i don't have i can't afford the canadian olympic team version of it <laughs> uh, this week's feature interview uh, brought to you by Centurina is with seamus koddick uh, who oh, i know from way back when he played junior uh, he's the goalie development coach with buffalo uh, some uh, really interesting conversations uh, with uh, Woody and Seamus just regarding the evolution of, of his role with the Buffalo Sabres and uh, a little bit about uh, his ritual that goes back to his uh, his playing days. Our gear segment uh, over at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, will feature the Warrior Ritual RX3 neck guard. But before we get to all that, uh, the uh, profile uh, of Tuka Rask is going to be a guy that uh, took over from uh, what is a Vezina Trophy winner and a Stanley Cup champion in Tim Thomas and made the Boston Bruins goaltending position his own. I was surprised uh, at the retirement, given all that he had put into uh, the the work to get back, Woody. Um, were you taken aback by it? Yeah, I, I just, uh, I was a little surprised, just like you said, because he put so much into getting back and I didn't think it would happen quickly. Like I thought it would take some time. You know, I kind of compare it to Mike Smith and how he's had a little trouble sort of getting his legs under him, draw air dropping into the middle of a season. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like trying to keep up to the Indy 500 mid race and you pop out there on a, on a, you know, bicycle and you're trying to keep up like just the pace of the game, the speed of the game, it's going to take time to sort of get your legs under you. And so I just thought it, he maybe needed a little more time, but I guess the hip was bugging him according to the statement. And I think just, you know, kind of sad, frankly, as somebody who grew up, uh, admiring the way he played his demeanor, the sort of, calmness with which he handled himself post game there was yeah i know we have the old i see the faces i know i remember the milk crates and the broken stick and he was sort of famous for that hot-headed moment and a couple of others but like he just there was a water off a duck's back 
sort of mentality that he had, especially when he talked about the position. And I think some at, at times people accused it of almost being aloof at times, but I just, I loved watching Tuca play and maybe I'm just getting old and melancholy because now it's, we celebrated Lundquist's career uh, with his retirement ceremony. Tuca retires, Luongo a couple of years ago, Pekka Rene's retirement jerseys uh, is coming up. Jersey retirement is coming up. These are all the guys that I grew up, not just, getting to talk to in this job as I learned about goaltending, but really enjoyed watching. So a little bit of little, little tear shed hall of famer in my books. I know that might be a tough argument for some people just based on, you know, like you said, he, he's almost started late because he was behind Tim who was incredible and ending early. But when you look at that nine twenty one career save percentage, man, there are only three other goalies that are better and there are some pretty big names couple of trips to the Stanley Cup final. Hutch? Yeah. Hey, and shout out to Woody for the article that's up now, uh, titled Rasky Business, went back into the archives, written, I want to say, eight years ago, and he breaks down what it is that made, at the time, makes uh, Rask the great goalie that he was. And if you look through each of the sections, they're, they're like you're putting together a manual for how to be a great goaltender today. Um, skating and flow, active hands, reacting from his skates. And Woody, you had a full section called Snaptastic. <laughs> I think that might have been named after Woody. Our little pet name for Woody is Mr. Snaptastic. So uh, I like that he recognized that in him. But no, it's a fantastic article. Just remember that it was, you know, eight years ago, but it's, uh, but it's a great analysis and I think a different take than you're going to see anywhere as people are, are looking at, uh, you know, articles that are tributes to. Tatuka uh today. So yeah, I'm sad to see him go. I just love watching him play. I love that he had his own way of doing things as much as it was a bit of a clinic for how to play goal. Um, just little things like, you know, the shin and the shin on post and things like that were sort of Tuka trademarks and show that uh there's more than one way to play goal and be incredibly successful. And I love that like there were points in his career where he did go reverse VH instead of, you know, with that boot inside post, the shin on post sort of as his post play yeah. tactic. And we had this conversation with Bob Essenza because Bob used to get asked by goalie coaches all the time in the summers because then Tuco went back, back to shin on post and it was, well, why is he doing that? That's not the most efficient way. And But less wear and tear on the body, right? Like there are different ways to make things work and Tuca, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't willing to try other things, but hell, he used RVH for an entire season, but there was a little extra wear and tear, ironically, on hips that needed surgically repaired. And this was a way to maybe, maybe this happens sooner if he doesn't go to shin on post or go back to shin on post. Um, just there were a lot of sort of unique elements uh, in the way he did it, the flow, the rhythm, the timing, the skating. He backed into some plays, but he did it, you know, sort of, it was like a master class of, of sort of, I don't say old school goaltending, but there was an element of old school to the way Tuca did it. And the skill required to play that way and be consistent like he was throughout his career is, you know, it's, it's, it's frankly remarkable. And like I said, I think it's, what's the list above him? Dominic Hasek, Johnny Bauer, and Ken Dryden are the only three goalies with higher regular season save percentage than Tuca Rask's 921. Uh, that's a pretty short list and a pretty impressive group to be a part of. There's Hall of Fame goaltenders who I love, but I never really wanted to play like them. I appreciated their skill level, but I didn't want to be Dominic Hasek doing what he did. Uh, 
this this is different. Like I always loved Tuca's style. I loved his stance. I loved his flexibility. I loved his his aggressiveness. I loved. You mentioned hands. I loved his hands. Uh, he if I was ever going to try and copy somebody's style, it would have been Tuca's style. And the other part of that, and I think we should actually mention this because. Uh, shout out to our friend Goalie Gear Nerd who pointed it out, at least in the NHL. in When he was over in junior and in Finland, he was a Reebok guy. When he came to the NHL, he was a Vaughn guy, you know, top to bottom outside his stick, which was the Montreal slash Warrior. There was a consistency there, but also iconic mask. Yes. Right? Like one mask, entire career, never changed it. One when you saw that mask, you knew it was Tuka Rask. Outside of a couple, he had some... Remember he had one where it was like a Patriots tribute to Brady and them for an outdoor game. But for the most part, just that that iconic bear mask. Last thing on Tuca. And, and it's interesting because it's part of the article. Because remember, the article was written after he won the Vezina in 2014. The intro to that old magazine piece where we broke down all the skills talked about sort of defensive environment. And at the time, a lot of people credited his numbers to such a good defensive environment. And a little bit of, I guess, what ends up being pretty good foreshadowing in the article, we said, let's see how that environment changes as he, you know, Zidane Chara gets older or moves on and he no longer has him on the back door. And sure enough, that happened. The thing that impresses me most about Tuca, his last three seasons in the league, the narrative that the Bruins were a great defensive team was no longer true. They were goaltending. And Tuca Rask, along with Yaroslav Halak, we're playing at elite levels those last three seasons. And I remember having this conversation with Bob Asenza. I think Tuca's last three years before the hip and before this season were actually his best in the league. And Bob agreed, like his, he got better those last three seasons. And I think people didn't notice it because they still just assumed, they looked at the numbers and they were similar. And they assumed that Boston was just a great defensive team and Tuca was doing what he always did. But he actually had to do that much more in those final three seasons just to maintain that sort of 921 type level. His adjusted numbers, according to ClearSight, over those three years were off the charts. And there were there was one in there where he definitely should have got Vesna Trophy consideration as well. Uh, he steps away in the same week that uh, his now former teammate, Brad Marchand, decides to pick on goalies or a goalie in Tristan Jari. Hacha, what was your, what was your first reaction uh, to what happened between... Marchand and the Penguin Stopper. Oh, how many different reactions. Uh, shock at first that, that it happened, and then I saw who did it, and then I wasn't surprised at all. And, uh, you know, your initial reaction is to protect the goaltenders, and that can't be done. The, the just, you know, breaking into the, the midst after the play is over and sucker punching him while he's down on his knees. Um, but then, you know, as we were talking, I thought, I, I think I would... I definitely was on the side of a suspension. I think that seven games uh, for what he did is too much, but for who did it, I think it's her six games, was it? And uh, regardless, I think was, um, you know, given who it is, it's based on history and that's fair enough. But yeah, as we were talking, it, it, it came to me that I think if somebody comes into a scrum, I mean, who's not a part of it and just decides to wedge their way in and punch a player in the side of the head. I personally, maybe I may call me a softie if you want, but I think that's suspension worthy as well. And then the, uh, the getting up in his face with the stick near the end, although it wasn't really all that strong a shot or anything. Again, it's around a cat eye. So who knows? I just, 
I'm not really, I'm not really for any of that, but you guys know I'm the softest person in the world. You call me dad for that. And so the thing that really pissed me off that game more than anything else was the Marchand knocking the puck off Jari's stick when he was going to give it to a fan. And I, of course, just imagine some kid not getting his day made by that puck now. So that's worse. Uh, I was surprised at the uh, outrage because it was a goalie being punched. I'm like, why, why should it matter if, if it's a goalie or a player? But, uh, and then at the end of the day, I thought it was much ado about nothing. It was just an altercation between players, but I'm a, more of a Except- Neanderthal than, than you are. As much, yeah. Well, the thing that makes it different, though, is that when you're down in the butterfly, having just made a save, you're not expecting some guy to come along and haul off and punch you in the head. If you're face washing with a bunch of guys after a play, that's one thing. If you're involved in a hit in the corner or something, that's another thing. But that was a very vulnerable position, and no, not so much about him being a goaltender. I don't think, but not good enough. To me, to me, it's a blind, it's it's a blindside sucker punch, and it wasn't with delivered yeah. with a ton of force. I'll I'll grant Marshawn that, and I was a little surprised at the length of the suspension too. But it's a blindside sucker punch. If you're toe to toe with a guy and you can see it coming, that's different. Jari can't, and the one thing is, especially in a goalie mask, like it's just it's just not designed for that kind of impact. Like it's not the same degree as a glancing blow as a guy cuts through the crease and clips you in the side of the head, but it's that rotational impact that does the most damage to goaltenders, that side impact that twists the head. And again, it wasn't the hardest punch. He didn't rock him with it. Um, But he hadn't have a chance to see, like I said, vulnerable, didn't have a chance to see it coming and just no place for it. And I don't know, we could probably argue the length all day. I was shocked by it too, that it was six. But uh, if you're going to be a jackass, and that's a tease of our gear segment, um, (laughs) you, uh, you get what you deserve. Can you believe it didn't it end up in a brawl though? That that was well, probably, probably the end the of the day. Except might... the guy who was sort of pulling him away is his next door neighbor in the summer, yeah. wasn't it? True, but so. <laughs> still could have been other stuff happening. Oh, definitely. That's getting soft. Yeah, Woody's men's league game. Like they're still fighting, and if it was three weeks ago. No, we went like to four, we went to the old man forty over. It's all chill. It's all peace, love, dope now. <laughs> Uh, we should also congratulate. I, I played in a beer league game where I saw the defenseman and the goaltender fighting, and they were on the same team. <laughs> I do. I, I'm ready to do that. I'm pretty much at that stage with my defenseman right True now. Story. Too. We actually moved one of them up to forward just to avoid that happening. Oh, that's good. Uh, I've got a story for you uh, at the end of this podcast uh, about uh, a men's league game that I recently played in regarding pulling the goaltender for the extra attacker that you guys will love, uh, especially uh, Woody. Uh, and Rene Debant, congratulations, a Olympic record for most saves uh, by a Canadian goaltender, Hutch. Yeah, what a fabulous performance. I absolutely loved watching that game for all the nastiness going on on Twitter today about whether women's hockey belongs to the Olympics or not. Um, just go watch that game. Unbelievable. Um, loved the performance. And I can just imagine all the people watching her saying, oh, she looks so calm. She looks so comfortable in the net. And and to me, what that was all about was she's just the balance that she plays with all the time, her ability to move around the crease, whether it's up or down, and maintain perfect balance and positioning throughout the game. I thought she made it look easy. And I, I don't think it was easy, but I think she made it look easy. And it was just a tremendous performance. Everybody's talking about the Canadians rolling through the tournament, but they were fairly badly outshot in that game, and she earned that win for Canada in in every respect. So, love the performance, and um, it's can't miss hockey for us in this house. 
Woody? Woody speechless. When has that ever happened? Today, February the 11th, 2022 at 7.20 p.m. on the west coast of Canada, Kevin Woodley was held speechless. <laughs> Woody had a brain fart. Uh, I just say go go back and listen to the uh, interview because I did uh, that we did with uh, with Anne Renee Debian, um, episode one seventeen. Um, there was just I, I I don't know I just I find myself uh, going back and reviewing some of the old things and and sort of the process for them to get to this stage, uh, not just the stories but some of the lessons that she shared about practice and I don't know just. I enjoyed the performance immensely watching that game. Uh, it's one of the few I've had time to watch just because uh, the, the Vancouver Canucks have been at home and those games have been on at 8 p.m. and it's, there's been a lot of conflicts for me. Uh, but I really enjoyed the performance. I just thought it was just so technically sound um, on plays where a lot of goalies at every level would be scrambling. Uh, she she kept over top of her knees, stable butterfly. What with the U.S. throwing a lot of sort of traffic at her didn't retreat into that traffic, held her ground, and just a lot of, you know, like pucks would squirt out to the side and it wasn't desperate lunge prematurely that leaves her out of position, like just a lot of solid, you know, crease movement and pushes. And, you know, then when you go back and listen to the interview and you hear about the work that goes into that practice-wise to sort of build that base and build that foundation, um, you sort of understand the path and the process and you enjoy watching it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully, as the Canucks piss off and get out of town for the week, watching more of these games into the medal round than I've been able to thus far. Uh, even the Americans, uh, you talked about traffic and, and mentioned that, but uh, there was a little bump at the side of the net and, and she glared down the opposition. Uh, there was that intensity balanced by a smile almost uh, after every, every flurry or save and uh, it looked like she, she enjoyed the moment. Smile after every flurry. Yeah, I was just gonna say after every flurry, there was a little bit of that grin back there a couple times that ha- actually made me think of uh, of flower a little bit. Like just like you said, having fun. Imagine on that stage and in that pressure in America and that rivalry. Um, to remember to have fun, that it is fun, that competing, that battling, and to have that smile. Actually, there are a couple times in that game that I that I saw that and and thought of flower. So funny. You should you should you should mention the flurry. We'll see what happens in the, in the next go round as they remain on this uh, collision course uh, and at uh, Beijing 2022. Uh, the news out of the way, let's get into what's happening at the hockey shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, goaltenders, uh, they're next on the line uh, at all times. So let's protect those uh, with uh, the ritual uh, RX3 neck guard. Well, I teased the jackass earlier, folks. After you listen to this on the podcast, we're going to talk about... Now, this is an item that we've actually mentioned before because we were so excited about this warrior neck guard when it came into the hockey shop in the spring. We wanted to do a big piece on it. But the nature of shipping and supply chain issues, they never got them in stock. They just had that one. So they were never able to... really. We had this demo we were excited about. Well, now they've got them in stock. So we wanted to go back and take a look at this thing. And the best best sort of comparison I can give to you is the Maltese models that were so popular at Pro for so long until they no longer became available. And when they no longer became available, I had NHL goalies texting me asking for, what's the equivalent? Like, what can I get that's mm. going to be like this Maltese in terms of mobility and flexibility and protection? And to be honest with you, there's never been anything at retail in my mind that compared 
Um, the Aegis that I use has elements of it and it has D3O, but this was the closest thing. And so to see it available at retail is quite exciting to the point where we felt we needed to revisit it with another review to let you know it's in there. And because the new Jackass movie is out, we thought we should put Cam through a little bit of extreme testing. You won't hear that testing in the podcast, but a reminder that each one of these gear segments comes with its own unique video component. And let's just say that we left Cam wincing a little bit with some <laughs> shots to the neck guard that might have gone a little beyond what you would normally expect playing goal. There may have been a mallet involved at one point. <laughs> so make sure you check out the video after after you check this out and make sure you check out the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com for all your needs when it comes to goaltending. Not just this new now-in-stock warrior neck guard that, like I said, probably the most protective we've seen. Also really mobile. Like it just got nice, the way they serrated it around the edges, like it just, it's great. Um, but also the new Catalyst PX stick. It actually arrived this morning. We didn't have a chance to do a gear review on it. They're actually pulling it in this morning and we'll do a review on it soon. It's a very limited edition stick. Uh, it, like, f- I believe it's 565 grams. Who makes that? True. The new wow. True Catalyst. It's a limited edition run that they're doing. Uh, Cam handed it to me and it, I will say it's the light. It, like, it just felt like there was nothing to it. Um, it's a stiffer stick. There's not, it's not, if you're looking for a whippy stick, this ain't it. If you like a stiffer profile though, it's the lightest I've seen. It's sort of a, it's quite an attractive stick too. It's got some gold trim on it. Um, it's not for the faint of uh, heart or light of wallet. Uh, it retails for $400 in Canada. Uh, but it's a gorgeous stick with lots of new features. So make sure you check it out at the hockey as well as the new warrior ritual RX three neck guard, which is in stock. And on the mind of Cam as we go back to the gear segment. Welcome back to the hockey shop down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. We're going to revisit a product that we talked about a little bit in the spring, like last spring. But it's finally in. Unfortunately, in the era of shipping and supply chains it didn't quite arrive we had the sample last time now we've got a full inventory uh it's the new warrior rx3 pro neck guard uh can't i just can't like go full salesman on tell me what i'm wearing here and why it have you been hit in the neck by a puck are you sick of bruises along your clavicle bone well we have the product for you okay so the ritual clavicle protector as some would also call it featuring their x foam technology similar foam that they're actually using in their chest protectors which is why we have this bad boy here too as well why is this important in terms of for impact reduction this is fantastic right so some awesome b-roll footage i might take a bit of a beating here but i'm not going to get bruised and i'm not going to get hurt because of this guy right here oh oh we didn't tell you Tell me what. You know what's in the theaters, right? Yeah. Jackass? <laughs> well, we're going to test this, folks. We're going to test it. So, senior size only. Um, one size fits all into that senior category. So, I will say, you know, a little bit dependent. This isn't going to fit your, like, 
12 year old and below. It's not BNQ certified as well. And that's also a good call out. So it does not have ballistics nylon in the neckline itself. However, you know, there's ways to get around that if you're looking for still that skate guard protection. Say you wear like a, a player a turtleneck with the actual BQ little neck guard into it. You know, there's other ways to still get that skate protection. But that said, in terms of impact reduction and actual pucks off the neck, this is something that, you know, if it's a major concern for you uh, or if you've had some recent injuries, it's definitely a product worth noting and looking at. Quite excited about it. Because or if you got a goal, frankly, like, for a young goalie that gets nervous about getting hit with the puck, as much as this isn't for little kids, like if you got a guy that, I mean, let's be honest, like if you're flinching, you're in trouble out there. Correct. Um, this just feels like, I love the way it's serrated up here. There's two layers of foam by the feel of it in there. Two layers of X foam, so they're double layered all the way throughout. Um, this, so if you're familiar with the Kova neck guards, Maltese neck guards. It feels like Maltese-ish to me as well. That was kind of where I was going to go. There's a there's something that was very popular right up to the National Hockey League, kind of went away. Mm -hmm. This feels like the closest thing I felt at retail to that type of option. Correct. Yes, it's finally a retail option off the wall that will, I would say, compete slash, you know, fill the void of some of those that have disappeared and not available anymore. A little thicker through the neck here. Um, we've seen that with the Aegis, but where they actually, you could pull out this section and, and trim it down and cut it. Not the case here. Not an option. But what's interesting is because it's layered, there is some mobility there. And all you got to do is sort of, this, you know, if you, if you were to do it up really tight, you might feel like your sort of down tracking might be limited a little bit. But I have the same thing with the ages. I just leave it like just a quarter of an inch loose and there's no problem in terms of sort of getting down and on top of pox. We'll show it with the chest protector. Because well. keep in mind, when you go into your crouch, that's also going to cheat up as well. And that's going to help to cover that neck. The flexibility of that e-foam does show off too as well as being able to, you know, once you start sweating it in, becomes a little bit more malleable and still will allow that neck mobility to look down and around. So if you want to check it out or have any questions about it, you can give me a call at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 or check it out at thehockeyshop.com. You weren't quick enough. Yeah, you got to be quicker, man. Like people, you know, they want these oh, things. Oh, I'm just thinking ahead to the jackass moments we're going to test this thing with. Oh, everybody stick around. Here we go. Sometimes I think you guys have too much fun at Cam's expense. But then I remember Cam deserves it. It's fun. Uh, where So the it's up in the YouTube, the uh, the jackass part? That will be up on the YouTube. It'll be on our Instagram TV, IGTV, I believe the kids call it. We'll have it up on Facebook, all the social media channels. Um, we're trying to be hip. Uh, we're going to have it up it's everywhere. It's jackass stuff. We probably need to start a TikTok channel and share mm. it on there for all the oh, kiddies. Oh, we definitely should. We definitely should, especially this one. We could put it to music as I absolutely lay the boots to him with a mallet and a stick and, you know, a mini stick. Um, I thought about bringing a live bull in to see if it could handle getting gored. Uh, I, th okay, carried away I threw pucks at him. I threw pucks at him and might have missed a few times. I was trying to hit him in the neck while throwing pucks. How many pucks do you think it took me throwing pucks at Cam to actually hit him in the neck with a puck from 10 feet away? Oh, former college baseball player, Woody, come on. I haven't chucked it in a while, Hutch. Well, I don't think you actually tried to hit him in the neck until puck five or six. Well, let's be honest. For sure, the first puck, I tried to hit him in the junk. No question. Yeah. But after that, when I was aiming for the neck, how long did it take for me to get him? I'd have gone for three, but I bet you it's more. It's more. 
We let him have a chest protector for that section, at least. Yeah, we had a little fun with it, Darren. Um, I, I think it's just a coincidence that uh, In Goal Media Corporate Office today got a notice from um, WorkSafe BC after this <laughs> segment. I'm pretty sure it's just a, just a coincidence. I think our dues are due. I don't think anybody filed the claim. Although I will say, there is a moment where Cam winces because I forgot the week before, I kid you not, Cam forgot to take his neck guard to a game. And so he played his beer league game without a neck guard. And Murphy's Law, he took one in the clavicle. So he actually had a bruise underneath the warrior neck guard. And when I switched from the left side, which he was okay, to the right side with the mallet and the stick, and I was swinging pretty good. You'll see it in the video. Uh, We may have buckled him. We may have buckled him. Hey, you can't make jackass claims if you're not going to be a jackass in the... No, exactly. I hit him hard. Impressive. Uh, let's uh, slide over to our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. A uh, chance to uh, hang out with uh, a guy that uh, has uh, seen it all from uh, being around uh, the junior uh, legend in Brian Kilroy and winning a Memorial Cup and going to two of those championships uh, to an extensive pro career. Now he's the goaltending development coach for the Buffalo Sabres, Seamus Kotick. Uh, uh, it's uh, a guy that uh, I think would have loved Sensorina if it was available back in his day. I'm sure he would have loved Sensorina, Darren, back in his day, and he's probably seen it before, too, because one of his uh, prize pupils, or at least future pupils, is uh, Devin Levi, who's over at the Olympics of Canada right now, Buffalo Sabres property, and uh, a big fan of Sensorina, as we know, and all tools to improve his goaltending. Um, Guys, Sensorina, one of the things I just wanted to talk about this week, um, Darren, have you had a chance to get into the YouTube library and see all the videos? that uh, Brian Decord has put up or I've seen them on Facebook. Brian shares all these great new drills every week, a chance to, to learn how to become a better goaltender with sensoring as a tool. This one really stood out for me because it's something that I struggle with being so vertically challenged and that's uh, finding a way to work around screens. And so using sensoring as a tool to uh, improve your goaltending, not just direct shots, not just reading releases, but Brian does a great job of, putting out these instructional videos to show you how you can become a better goaltender with the use of sensorina and things like uh, this week's this week's video about uh, working around screen. So I do encourage people, there's just these, all these great resources around sensorina to take it to the next level. And also just a reminder, we're into the final month of their big, um, their big world skills competition where you can get in there, you can train you can compete against great goaltenders like our own darren millard uh darren where are you on the uh the rankings for this one Do you know? uh, no they haven't uh, got the we're rankings not going to talk about it think. just yet because i'm still hoping one, to uh to get a couple more shots in before i i'm done i was struggling yeah, you the will other see day d millard up there somewhere if you're uh looking to challenge him and if you're lucky enough to be the winner of this month's competition or one of the previous ones you're going to get a chance to go on to the uh to the final round for a chance to win a trip to the NHL All-Star game. So it's not just that Sensorina is a groundbreaking tool to help become a better goaltender, but they're now building this whole sort of ecosystem around it with the competitions, with the instructional videos and so on. A real community popping up around Sensorina. And uh, I encourage all the Ingoal members and all our listeners here to get out there and give Sensorina a try. If you use the code IGM50, you get a little bit extra off as well. And, uh, just uh, really encourage you to get involved and 
challenge Darren Millard. I, I do uh, appreciate the Brian DeCord videos because they they give you, and some of them are right up be- before you do a drill, and he gives you an instruction on on how to improve your skill level. And uh, without uh, joking around, it, it it does help you, and, and it's different uh, approaches that I I don't think of, and I'm like, wow, I didn't didn't. Uh, never crossed my mind doing that so it's it's very cool it's goaltending instruction plus the the repetitions and the uh virtual training that you get to do you have to set up your profile in sense arena as well so that you know it represents your your body size yes. i think i'm going to go in there i'm going to set myself up at about six eight so i can find out what it's really like to look over a screen then uh i was gonna say do uh, you know what uh, happens uh, though hutch <laughs> What's that? You'd be inside your virtual person and you'd look up and see yourself. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of mind-bending. We have, we got to try that yeah, this week, Yeah, Aaron. Give, it, give it a shot. Uh, that's a feature interview coming up. Uh, Seamus Kotick, uh, from junior to uh, to professional to now the goaltending development coach of the Buffalo Sabres. The feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Really excited to welcome to the Ingo Radio podcast for the first time, but it, I guarantee, I guarantee listeners, it will not be the only time because once you hear this guy talk about goaltending, you're going to want him back. Uh, Seamus Kotick of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, goalie development coach guy, has his hands in a lot of different elements with the Sabres in the goaltending department, does some scouting, does all kinds of different things, development uh, at multiple levels, working with their prospects. Seamus. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Where do we catch you today, if I can ask? Because I know this is a job that takes you all over the place. In in some situations with some organizations, goalie development coach means primarily American Hockey League. And I know you do some work in Rochester, but you also do some traveling and you see goalies in different parts. So where where are we catching up with you today, if I can ask? I'm actually in the parking lot at the Yost. Serena in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm going to be watching uh, Michigan play Michigan State tonight. So a little bit, is, is that a, someone in your organization or a little bit of scouting or did I just ask a question I can't ask because it's a secret who you're scouting? No, all good. I'm watching Eric Portillo, uh, who was a draft pick of ours a couple years ago. And um, I'm, here, I'm here to check up on him, uh, see how he's been uh, progressing and, uh, and touch base with him after the game. Well, uh, on behalf of goaltenders everywhere, um, please pass along uh, our kudos for his gear style because that kid knows how to wear a set of equipment. Must be the uh, the Swede in him because I find the Swedes have style all the places. Like off ice, are the best dressed people around, and uh, yeah, I, I see it mostly on social media when he has a new uh, set of equipment or color scheme, however he does it, and. It is sharp. It it definitely is. It, we'll call it the Henrik Lundqvist effect in terms of the Swedes and stylish, because there's a guy that knows how knew always knew how to wear gear off the ice and and, and on the ice. Um, look good, feel good, play good, right? So can you, with that in mind, can you walk our audience through sort of what the job entails again without giving too much away, but just walk us through what a typical I was going to say week, but I guess it varies depending on where every team is at. What is what does a month look like in terms of how you divide it up amongst 
um, guys in the AHL and, and guys elsewhere like Eric? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, so responsibility wise, there's kind of three areas that fall under the umbrella is an easier way to explain it for what I do. Primarily responsibility um, is the American Hockey League goalies. Um, aside from that, I'm involved with the amateur draft uh, from a goalie perspective as well. Um, I look after and help along our goalie prospects that have been drafted and are back playing amateur status. Um, so like organizationally, we have, you know, every year will be a little different. And that's kind of getting to the point of like what a month would look like. Um, you, you know, you, you come up with a plan. How do you want to approach this particular year? Where the priorities lie? You know, where, what are your primary responsibilities going to be? And then from there, you kind of work backwards. So from a, a development aspect, you know, we have measuring points. We have our own goals within our development staff of how often we want to see our prospects, those type of touches, like in-person video, um, you know, phone calls, texts, all that stuff. Um, so I, I'll build my schedule that way when I need to see the prospects. And then in regards to the American League, a lot of it is looking at their schedule, you know, what, what's working with your schedule. Um, so it, it varies. It could be there's no set day, uh, no set quota of days per month. It's what's best for the schedule. It's what's best for the prospect at that particular time. And then on the side from that, the involvement with the amateur draft, Obviously, you're watching video pretty much daily. Um, you're narrowing guys down from, you know, your area scouts to, you know, the analytic department to just your own doings. Um, and it's a little bit of time management. And then you find schedules that you work with the, the, the scouting bosses um, to find what's the right guys to go out and have uh, live viewings with. So um, a little long winded answer, but that's kind of how I go about making my general schedule and how it kind of folds into a month and to a smaller level. Well, it's, it sounds like it's one that has a lot of different moving parts. And I'm guessing even more so over the past couple of years as COVID wreaks havoc on everybody's schedule. And I'm not sure that it's wreaked havoc on anyone's goalie depth chart as much as it has the Buffalo Sabres. What's that been like? We see it in the headlines at the National Hockey League level most often, just in terms of you know the recent road trip where people were wondering who's going to play goal. But what we don't hear about is the trickle down to the American League level and even below that in terms of when the big club is missing guys and they're calling all your guys up, um, what does that do to what's left? Like how how thin has it gotten at times on short notice to find goaltenders and how big a challenge has that been for you guys as one of the hardest hit and and just even around the various leagues in, in the AHL and down to the ECHL? Well, it's definitely been an interesting year for injuries um, and COVID. Like all teams have, to a certain degree, experienced hiccups. Um, for us, we were fortunate enough to be able to sign two goalies to American League contracts, um, which I feel is very necessary now in today's world with COVID and, and all those unpredictable things. So we signed Michael Hauser and uh, Matthew Robson to American League contracts with the intent that they would uh, start the season with Cincinnati, who's our East Coast affiliate. When the uh, injury and COVID scenario started happening with the Sabres, it's, it's that obvious ladder effect everybody's aware. Uh, goalies went up from Buffalo or Rochester to Buffalo. 
which happened to at that point been Aaron Dell and Ukul Pekalukinen when they went up. So then obviously Michael Hauser, Matthew Robson joined joined Rochester. So at that point we're still okay, our heads above water. We have the goalies that we all believed in uh, come the start of the season, where we got into a little bit more little situation with Rochester was when um, Michael Hauser needed to be signed to an NHL contract in that right. game when I think it was Malcolm Subban got hurt and then Uko got hurt. So at that point, we were prepared from the best we could every summer and, and throughout the year. Us as an organization and myself, we're aware of the goalies that are playing in the East Coast League that are not on American League contracts or NHL contracts. So there's always a list in place, um, you know, in the event, like break in the event, you need to break glass. Who are you looking for? And um, so we we had some of our homework done ahead of time. So there wasn't like a mad scramble per se, but it was more logistically who could get in, who doesn't need to COVID test. Like there's some regulations and guidelines like that that made it a little bit tricky. But we we ha- we planned ahead in the summer and, and had a list that uh, fortunately all that the work you put in um, needed to be utilized. No points where you're you're looking for the the local beer league guy who's leading the league with an eight fifty save percentage. Like I don't have a shot. Like it, it never got to the point where you were you were you were looking at your Rolodex and going to call me up or what? No, uh, honestly, there was a scenario like that, and I was not in Rochester for that stretch. But it was one of those last minute notices. Goalie from Rochester is recalled to Buffalo. Roch is stuck. They have a game in a handful of hours. There was actually, and I don't know who it is, um, but there's a restaurant where the, the coaching staff tends to have dinner at. And I don't know if it's the bartender or the waiter, but basically he's a, a beer league goalie. And they called the restaurant and said, we need you. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's right. It's like a, a five iron from the rink. Um, so the guy came and backed up. <laughs> and uh, So they got to that point, but not that he had to get on the ice. Thank God. Well, wow, it's, it's just been such a crazy year. We hear so many of those stories. Um, but it sounds like for the most part, like you said, you guys have had, had a plan in place and been able to stick with it. Um, I want to get a little bit into your playing career because, you know, was there ever a point where you were the next man up? Because you did, you did play. Not every goalie coach has the history you do in terms of playing, but played for a long time. Yeah, were you close to strapping them on at any point? No, I uh, <laughs> I kind of made a deal with myself when my playing days ended that that was going to be it. Um, and I understand I don't have any issue with anybody that wants to get in and play with the guys. It just for myself, it was you know something I just did with myself. Thankfully, if I haven't had to have that opportunity or be put in that position, if, if they were stuck, I would. Um, but there's comes a point in time where, you know, like you realize you're probably just going to get everybody laughing at you and you don't need that. So, well, let's get into the, like, so where did you, you, you played junior in Ottawa, um, drafted by the Boston Bruins in 99 in the fifth round, played for Cleveland in the American league. Like walk me, how did Seamus Kotick as a, as a young man growing up in London, Ontario, fall in love with goaltending? I grew up in actually Sault Ste. Marie. I was born in London, but raised in the Sioux. And okay. uh, I was I was heavily influenced by the Sioux Greyhounds. The Sioux Greyhounds were my Montreal Canadiens or Toronto Maple Leafs. They were my favorite team. I, I, I absolutely adored and loved the Greyhounds. Um, at that point, 
when it was heavily influential to me, Dan Cluche was the goalie for um, the Sioux Greyhounds. I was in that impressionable age and I just was mesmerized. So he was a big hero idol for a young kid to me at that point. And all I ever wanted to do was play in the OHL and play for the Sioux Greyhounds. So that's kind of, you know, where that kind of love and passion started for me. Uh, I was lucky enough to play in the OHL. Uh, I played four years for the Ottawa 67s. Um, and again, I, you know, a lot of kids get drafted into situations that they can't control. And I was fortunate for Ottawa to be on the up and up and starting to peak. Played in two Memorial Cups and we were able to win one in 1999. And uh, I, I really firmly believe that being a part of that organization allowed me to have a pro career and play pro hockey and um, and kind of, you know, move forward from there. Like I said, drafted by the Bruins in 99, um, turned pro in 01, 02 after finishing those four years with the 67s. Walk me through sort of the history of uh, your pro career and how it started and and some of the influences, you know, both as a goaltender, because that would have been right in that, like you're kind of right in that golden age, Seamus, where, um, you know, a lot of the technical stuff, This is that's right when I sort of started writing and there were elements of, you know, proper leg recovery in the early 2000s that, you know, kids were being taught, but not all NHLers did, right? Like even guys like Kluge, um, early at that point in their career, like a lot of the things that were just starting to become common technically weren't things that NHLers automatically knew. And that's right, as you sort of come out of the OHL and into pro hockey, what was it like being part of that process as the game, frankly, you know, I think from my perspective, felt like it was really getting modernized then from a coaching perspective. Oh, it was, it was crazy. My first ever goalie coach was the first year in the American Hockey League. I, just think about that. I had Warren yeah. Stralo, um, who for me is Warren Stralo and Wayne Thomas, uh, massive influence to me uh, once I turned pro. But I want to rewind. My first pro, my first pro training camp was with the Boston Bruins, um, or sorry, right after I was drafted, Brian DeCord was the goalie coach. And what I remember, I have not a lot of memories, but one of the goalies was Kay Whitmore. And just, just represents the era and the generation. We were doing a drill that had to do with like a butterfly or something along those lines. But if we remember Kay Whitmore, he, had, he did like the kick safe. Like he would drop one knee, kick the puck with his stick to the corner. And it was basically you know, it was towards the end of Kay's career, but Brian was, you know, everyone was sympathetic that just mechanically Kay, he, or physically, he just couldn't do it. The, the, the style of like the butterfly or whatever it was, it was, it really made me laugh when I look back at it now. But when I turned pro, I had uh, Wayne Thomas and Warren Stralo work with the goalies. And there was another guy named Cap Reader who was around at some development camps and he was doing scouting, but he was part of helping us. And, uh, it really opened my eyes to, you know, just the importance of work and the importance of building on your game and just the importance of someone working with you and, uh, took some time to digest it, but that stuff now is, is my, a big part of my fundamental philosophy and how I approach what I do today. You know, it's funny. Cause I think, um, that's a name that's almost gotten lost. I'm guilty of it myself. Uh, we talk about, you know, obviously here at Ingle, we want 
we're kind of trying to make a push to make sure that goalie coaches get the recognition of, you know, even a Hall of Fame berth. And Francois Lair always seemed like the natural lead into that to be the first guy to me. Um, Warren Stralo is a name that broke a lot of the same barriers that Francois did. Uh, and at the same time, maybe even in, in some cases slightly earlier, you know, didn't necessarily play the position in the NHL in an era where the only goalie coaches were sort of been there, done that guys, right? Like they kind of broke through that. What are your memories of Warren who, like I said, like just an absolute legend in USA hockey and in goalie coaching circles and maybe one that, you know, maybe one we've forgotten a little too much, or at least some of us have. So what, what are your lasting memories of, you know, some of the lessons that, like you said, still are things you pass along as foundational today? Well, with, with Warren, um, it was like, like he loved you like a child, like, like you were his son. And he treated everybody equally. Uh, when I when I was with San Jose's organization, uh, Evgeny Nabokov just won the Calder Trophy. Uh, Mika Kiprasov was the backup, and Vesa Toskala was the starter in the American League, and I was their fourth. Um, he, Warren treated everyone the same. Everybody was equal. It didn't matter who you were, and he worked with you all the same. The same drills. Now, the biggest thing about Warren that I can speak on at the point when I worked with Warren was um, it was all footwork. It was all movement, but none of it was, you know, this crazy dynamic kind of stuff. It was just simple, basic skating and you were in your stance and it was shuffles and shuffles and different. The, all the letter patterns were just done with shuffles and there was stepping over the stick and it was all about learning your skates and balance and moving. Um, you know, we do these, blowouts like once every two weeks where it was about a half hour you know conditioning crease movement stuff it was, it was just things like that that i took away um never rushed if you wanted to spend the whole entire day with warren talking and going for lunch he was there it wasn't all right the time at the rink is is up at 11 a.m now that practice is over it didn't end then it was it was like he was on call and he was there for you and they resonates now um, and in the moment, I just thought I was really lucky, but I didn't, I didn't understand it. When you, it's funny, you talk about a lot of the, the movement patterns and, you know, for, for a long time, we saw some of that sort of disappear, but now we've seen it. It may not be the letter drills, but it's come back, you know, some of the warm up skating that we see goalies do now. And then the amount of focus on edge work and patience on edges. And I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the lessons from back in the early 2000s from Warren Stralo um, probably apply to that stress we're seeing now back on skating and back in on edges and patience and footwork. Oh, hundred percent. And it's, you know, in a way it's kind of disappointing that, you know, is it to say it, it left or disappeared or it just wasn't as, as relevant. I'm not sure. I, uh, to me, it's just, I, 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 I align with it. I believe in it and it's, it's important. And, Every goalie I've worked with since I've I've been involved in coaching, uh, back to when I started with the Sioux Greyhounds, every day is two, three, four movement patterns. And it's not like, you know, like I'm still doing the same ones, some of them that I did with Warren Stralo. And I just I just feel it's they're timeless and they apply to all ages and all ability levels and um, with the simple goal of just getting better. What was, uh, from a pro career and aspiration standpoint, you had three years in Cleveland. I mean, the last year you're in Cleveland, you post a 925 save percentage in, in 30 games. Like, like things are moving up. Where, 
Walk me through the career path because that was the last year in Cleveland. You move on to Milwaukee, Rockford, Houston, a little bit of bouncing around, and then you go over to Europe. Was there, can you just sort of guide us through what that process was like back then and some of the lessons you learned along the way, how your game evolved, and, you know, what parts of that learning apply to coaching now? My time with, uh, with Cleveland's, uh, we were San Jose's farm team. Uh, my entry level was up and uh, the lockout was, was happening. And I think it was 04, 05. And, right. You know, um, teams just weren't resigning players. And, you know, probably I didn't play well enough to earn a, another contract. Um, and it was like what I did. The 925 would suggest otherwise. You're right. But, you know, doing what I do now, maybe I learned uh, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, but it just, it didn't happen. The new contract didn't happen. Part of me likes to believe the the lockout and the lack of people being re-signed at that time was a factor. I'm not sure. Um, but luckily I ended up, uh, Mitch Korn, uh, they were looking for someone with Milwaukee, which was Nashville's farm team, uh, to partner with Brian Finley, who at that point was an upcoming prospect for their organization. I grew up through St. Marie and knew Brian Finley I just, after talking to Mitch, had a feeling this was going to work. So I ended up with uh, signing a, a one-year deal to be there with Brian, um, knowing fully well that the next season, um, Pecorini was actually coming over to play. He was going to be there. Yeah, <laughs> in case you haven't heard of him. Um, so, so that's the deal. I got a few games, I think five or six or something with Rockford during that season. It was a scenario where I, I, I wasn't playing a lot. And... They felt it was going to be better for me to remain sharp and, and go and play. So that's how those situations happen. Uh, the following year, same scenario uh, or kind of situation, signed with Minnesota to be with uh, Houston Arrows. And yep. that's and the, the be the, the partner and kind of mentor for Josh Harding. And I hate to say the word mentor, but be the, you know, the, his goalie partner to help him along. It was Josh Harding's year to 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 be the guy and um and by this point it's my fifth year in the league and so that's that's how uh everything went with uh, minnesota or um the houston arrows then after that it was you know you're in the you're back in the kitty trying to find a job like you're just in that pool of everybody else um and a, a former teammate of mine from when i was in cleveland called and said i'm in germany our goalie's injured we're looking for a guy, you know, and put me in touch with their management. And I knew I was only there for upwards of two months while their goalie was recovering uh, from an injury. And I went over and rolled the dice and gave Europe a shot and ended up uh, spending four seasons in Europe. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, the influence of Mitch, because you're, you're only in that organization for a year, but he's a guy that, you know, we talk about children of the corn and the influence he has around the game. Uh, you know, talk about that list of Francois Lair and Warren Strelow and Hall of Fame and Mitch's, you know, Mitch's at the top of that one. Um, what were your experiences like with him? Is there a lasting influence there or things that you took away from that that's, you know, still apply to, to what you're doing today even? Yeah, Mitch opened my eyes to, uh, I felt Mitch was more technical. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to remember, but he, he there was a, a phase in the game uh about getting up on a, on a particular foot and, and moving and recovering particular ways. Um, but what I, what I liked about Mitch was Mitch was very efficient. 
it wasn't casual at all. It was, all right, we're working, we're working. You know, I remember he had a stopwatch and um, there was a plan. He was tracking goals and goal locations at that point in time, which I'd like to believe was ahead of the times. And I'm sure all teams tracked in particular ways, but I really felt he was breaking things down at a level I hadn't been exposed to at that time. So when I look back at it from what I do now, I take away the preparation. I take away the plan. I take, you know, I take away professionalism. You know, I take away urgency and just attributes like that to to separate yourself. And th- that's what I, I take from Mitch when I move forward in doing what I do now. That's funny you mentioned, pro- you know, get proper leg and, and certain leg recovery. And that's exactly about when I started learning about goaltending. That's what I was talking about earlier. Like that was sort of when you'd go watch 12-year-olds and they were being taught it and they did it naturally and there were still guys at the pro level that this was new to them. And so watching them to have to sort of go through that when they'd done it with, in a lot of cases, just I'm getting up off my dominant leg was an just an interesting process to watch. The other part that I would guess you would have taken away from those couple of years, especially with the back and forth and you touched on it, that I would think it would help now is Sounds like you have a real appreciation for, you use the word mentor, but roles and different roles and being a teammate at times, like also always wanting to be better and and get better and move up yourself. But there are times where you're there to help others as well. And how does that help you? Even in a year like, like, I guess, I don't know Michael Hauser well at all. We've never had a chance to meet, but there's a guy that has even Dustin Dekarski that have pushed and pushed for a long, long time. And I'm guessing there are times when they're asked to do different things. And as a coach, having been through it yourself, that must help in terms of how you manage it and, and help them approach those situations. Oh, absolutely. So for like your first question, when a goalie is assigned to a level to play, whether it's the NHL to American League or American League to the East Coast, I just, I understand it greater now going through it. Everybody wants to move upwards. Right. Everybody wants to play at the highest level and nobody wants to accept or not accept, but nobody wants to say, all right, I got to go down a level. It always hurts. And the, the further down the levels you go, I think it, it, it hurts everybody because it's farther away from their dream of the NHL. That, I, I believe it hurt might be the wrong words, but it, it is taking you away from where you want to be and where you dreamed of being. So for myself, it was a short time, but I experienced what it felt like. And, you know, you have a choice. You have a choice to feel sorry for yourself, pout, be negative, you know, mutter mean things under your breath. Or you have a choice to come and play and be professional and, and, and be yourself. And that's it's hard. And that's what I, I communicate when we are assigning a goalie or if I, I see tails or signs and maybe they're, they're unhappy. I feel I'm able to communicate and connect with our prospects better because of that experience that I had. And it's, it's one of those ones too, that like, it's almost like there's a, there's there a psychology element there as well. Like you're almost your part-time sports psychologist as well as goalie coach when you're when you're having to like, yeah, you have to recognize those emotions as well. Oh, hundred percent. Because, and it does. It doesn't matter what you're doing in in, in this world. If, if your mind is not engaged, you're not going to perform or give what is required. And 
you know, and, and that's a big thing is understanding they're, they're not happy, but having that conversation with them to, to get them to express why, but hopefully at the end of your conversation, it's all off each other's chest and they're able to come and perform. And, and, and that's really what you want at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, you have to, it's you're coaching them, not just on the ice, but you're coaching and helping them grow off the ice. I, I firmly believe whether it's the, the head coach or the assistant coaches or the goaltending coach, you're coaching the people like you're coaching them all the time. It's just not on the ice and the, uh, the involvement and the amount of time varies at the level and will vary with the individual. Is there, are there lessons there um, for young kids, maybe kids getting into junior age prospect age? Cause you, you, you know, put your scouting hat on for me, um, how they handle adversity or maybe not getting a start when they or as many starts as they would like um body language when you're not the guy that night uh are those things that that matter i know they probably matter to a coach but even if you're watching with a scouting hat on do, do those things show up and do those things matter as a sign of what might be to come when they face adversity as pros oh uh completely for me uh it's something that's why i feel a live viewing is very important is you learn things and it, and it doesn't mean if somebody has poor body language at 17 years old, that it, it can't be corrected or, or something like that. But you, you want to know how they are responding. Right. And I want to see a goalie get pulled. I want to see them have a hard night because I want to see how they respond when they play again. I want to see if, you know, they can handle the pressure of, the situation. And it's, it's not, it's not from like a malicious standpoint, but if we're going to invest into a goalie and we're going to have a goalie in our organization, they're going to be faced with those situations and it's going to be under a greater microscope. I want to be able to answer to my bosses that I know that they've handled it or this is how they respond or what their tendencies are instead of just guessing. And I guess that's where like an increasing, especially with the pandemic, I'm guessing there's been a lot more video scouting. But as you said, um, that live viewing, and it probably ties into the earlier statement. It's not just about coaching them on the ice and the technique that you would see as a scout. It's about the person, not just the goaltender. Completely. The person's like the individual commitment is it's, it's massive. And, um, like you can have as many faults as you can, or like scouts love to use the word warts, you know, all of that stuff. But if the character of the, the individual is not there to, to, you know, to push, to fight, to compete, battle, to want like that hunger and that, I, I think you're, you're creating a real big uphill battle for yourself. Okay. So after that last year in Europe, you come back and uh, again, go back, you end up back in the Sioux. Uh, as a goalie coach with the with the Greyhounds in 2010, um, can you walk me through that decision? Like just that process. Like was coaching all something you always envisioned yourself doing, or you know, when you made that transition, what was the mindset? Did you did you figure we'd be taught when you made that switch 12 years ago? Did you think we'd be having this conversation today? No, I I didn't know what to expect from a, a career standpoint. I was playing in Europe. I was it was in the summertime. I was trying to find a job. And I think it was in the month of August, uh, the Sioux Greyhounds happened to be looking for um, a coach, uh, like a goalie coach. And their, their general manager, was his name was Dave Torrey at the time. We spoke on it. 
And I just remember thinking, okay, I'm kind of interested. I don't know why it wasn't my, my vision. It wasn't my plan. I asked for a week, got back to them. And I was really excited about the opportunity to try something new and, and start a new career. Never envisioned it. It would go where it would, where it went. I told myself, give it one year, reevaluate, um, you know, as that year happened, unfortunately for the coach, but fortunately for myself, the head coach uh, was fired three quarters way through the year. Took everybody takes on greater responsibility at the junior level. Um, you know, I was doing video. I, I, I was, you know, you just take on so much. Where by the by, my second and third year, I was called a, an assistant coach. I was not an assistant coach, but you're doing responsibilities that were acknowledged that way. And I just grew for the three years while I was with the Greyhounds, trying as much as I could. Um, you know, I worked with Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe and they were, Sheldon was uh, nice enough to let me go on the bench uh, for home games and, and learn that way. So I just kind of dove head in to see where it took me. And uh, I never thought I'd be where I am today. Not a chance. So, I wanted to, because I wanted to ask you about that. And then, you know, I saw that there were, that, that it had been a transition in the O2 assistant coach. Is there a lesson there for young goalie coaches? You know, guys that I'm sure come up to you and ask you about paths to pro and, and how to get to where you are today as, from the coaching standpoint. Is there a lesson there in being willing to do more than just coach the goalies? Is this job now so much more than that? Are there skills you would advise that others go and get at other levels if they have that opportunity, whether it's to be on the bench or to be in pre-scouts or to do some of the video work? I, I think to a degree, yes, but also like, goalies is a pretty specific position. It's a pretty specific niche. Um, right. And I think it just depends on the level where you are now. But hockey is, is always all hands on deck right? It's everybody's helping each other. So in that moment, when I was with the Greyhounds kind of cutting my teeth, I wanted, I, I thought it was awesome. I loved it. You know, you come to the rink, you're learning all this stuff. You know, I just wanted to try as much as I could to figure out what it is I wanted to do. But, you know, for goalie um, coaches out there trying to move forward, technology is, is big. It's, you know, that's my, my thing I would suggest is you know, make sure that, you know, the computer programs, the video software programs, the editing programs, you have a comfort and familiarity with those because that's, that's important in today's uh, world. Um, and just those, that's really what I would encourage. And, you know, the coaching stuff, I mean, I think that's if you want to, you know, find a career that can, that you can do both, but I think it's a one, one position you need to focus on coaching, but I, it, that was just situational trying to lo trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to develop. It sounds like you got to know, like there's a line there, right? If you're needed, maybe jump in, but it, you, you want to be indispensable, but you don't want to end up doing everything at the expense of, of your focus at times, I guess. No, that's so true. That's so true. It's, uh, it's just, yeah. Knowing what you want, finding out how to educate yourself best to be in a position to do what you want to do. Where are we at? And, and, and in general terms, I don't want to ask any specifics and, you know, around the National Hockey League in terms of specific, the way some teams do it, but everybody's doing it differently. You started with the Sabres as a goaltending scout. You're now the goaltending development coach. And you, all, like you said, also do some scouting and work with goalies at all the levels. Um, 
we've seen a growth. We've seen departments. We've seen different titles. We've seen different structures. Um, just all positive moving forward. Is there a dream scenario? How many people are involved in the ultimate goaltending department? Oof. That's a Pandora's box. Um, <laughs> I see. Look at I, I leave the big open-ended question for for late in the interview. No, it's great. Like, in the, like that that question there about like the right amount of people. Like, I think you could talk for days about that. And there's a lot of philosophies and a lot of um, visions and ideas and concepts. For myself, what I've been very lucky with from a professional standpoint for professional growth with the Buffalo Sabres. I've had multiple management groups and each management group has given me a little more responsibility or shifted me in a different direction than what I was doing under the previous. So what that has allowed for myself to do is grow and understand different roles within the organization and work within the different departments that has helped me from a scouting standpoint, you know, have the opportunity to see live viewings in different countries around the world, the junior leagues, the pro leagues. That is invaluable. That's so valuable to be able to see that. And why I feel it's valuable is it helps me understand from a coaching standpoint, you see all of the different styles, all the different techniques. You can see goalies who are being coached by all these great coaches around the world. And it allows you to formulate your own opinion of what you feel works or doesn't work or what should be prioritized in a skill, uh, in a skill category to be enhanced. Um, so, so that's kind of where the flow has. To rewind to your first question, I was initially hired to scout the goalies for the amateur draft and work with two prospects who were in the East Coast League who happened to be Andre Makarov and Connor Knapp. Now, as that season progressed, I was hired by Darcy Regeer, who unfortunately was let go, and Tim Murray took over. And when Tim Murray took over, he comes from a scouting background and saw my value to increase and, and grow in scouting. But by the end of the tenure with Tim Murray, after my three years, goalies were my absolute pri uh, primary responsibility. But I started to evaluate the Fords and the Fencemen in all the games and, and fully report on all the players at the same time. I found that helped me understand context of value of a prospect where um, just learning, you know, building the team, building the organization differently and understanding, you know, through our interpretation, value of goalies around the league, value of goalie prospects and so forth. When Jason Botterill became general manager, his vision for myself was in uh, more of a traditional goalie development role, you know, taking on the American Hockey League coaching. And that's something I hadn't done in maybe four or five years by this point. Um, maintaining the scouting, but the scouting taking more of a backseat role, but growing on the development and the relationship with the prospects. So I look at it <clears throat> selfishly. I've been able to work in all these different departments for different periods of time and different uh, priorities, but grow. And that to me now, when I focus with the coaching, I just feel I see the 360 pitcher behind a goalie a little more clear than I have maybe in the past. Now, part of that process is you, you see all these different things and you get to know all these different goalies. We've seen techniques change and evolve. I think what I love about the position, and I think it's, 
I mean, it's very prevalent in in your organization right now. There's no one way to play this 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 position, right? There's no one way, absolute way to do it. We've seen different mindsets, different approaches, different styles, all work. What what where are you at? That balance between superstition and routine. We have a lot of goalies that can spend hours and hours getting ready. It can become too much. Um, what are some of the stranger ones you've seen? And is that something you worry about if you're evaluating a prospect or scouting a guy and he's got to, you know, he's got to do everything a certain way or he's got a four hour routine to get ready to play? Is that something that makes you nervous? No, I don't get nervous. I just kind of get cynical and I laugh. Um, you know, I, uh, like we have a, a, you know, a great example of this is uh, Devin Levi is a goalie prospect of ours and he plays college hockey at Northeastern University. He has a lot of little routines between whistles, a little skate to this corner and in that corner. And every goalie has their little thing that works for them. I just laugh and I, and I go, you know, you're playing 34 games a year and that tires me out watching you at 34. I, I go, you're going to play 76 in the American League one day. I'm like, no, those aren't laughing, right? I just look at it from that and I just laugh. Um, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, about any guy with anything crazy right now that I've been involved with. Um, okay, I'm so sure I should, have- I should, I should, I should jump in here because I, I, I feel like I'm setting you up badly here because I got a little note from somebody who played with you when I said we were talking today or played yeah. against you, and my understanding was when it comes to routines, yours between periods may have been unique. Um. Late in my career, I used to take all my stuff off. I don't know. Is that the one you, you got? <laughs> That's the you? one. That's the one. Darren Millard said I had to ask you about that part of your routine. Yeah, I, I would take uh, I would I would take my upper my upper stuff off and my pads off. I, and I just have my skate. Well, you'd have your pants, right? But yeah, I would take everything off after warm ups in between periods. And I think maybe my mind got the best of me, and it was trying to convince yourself you can actually play goal anymore. But my whole thing was off with the bad back on with the good right so, so it was a mindset um, it was a mindset it was a reset yeah it was my reset now today there's probably more efficient ways of going about that um but um yeah yeah i, I would take the pads and the upper stuff off and we just you know go to the bathroom and walk around the dress room grab a water or something but it was my reset that you know okay everything bad that period just came off putting it back on we're gonna go back on the ice and have a, a strong period Right. See, there's a there's a lesson there for other people because some people might just look at that as a real, you know, what do they call us as goalies? They say we're weird, but that there was a mindset tool to that. There was a method to the madness, as, as Mitch always used to say with Dominic Hasek. The only difference, Seamus, is now that would be easy with all the Velcro. Dude, you were rocking some sweet heatings back then, and that was a lot of leather buckles to get undone and done back up between periods. Oh, I know. And that's where like, yeah, I, 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 it's just everything, you know, anybody who can look back a generation and say, yeah, like I wore that or try playing in this. And it was like, no, oh, no, no, that was actually a lot of work. Right. And it was like, it, it was almost developed anxiety because you were trying to get everything ready to get back on the ice for the, the right time. So did um, you ever cut it too close? Nothing that pops like, uh, I, I'm time means a lot to me. And even to this day, I don't do well with running behind. So um, I can't see any scenario of not making it out there, but um, yeah, yeah, that was it. Well, speaking of timing, I said I'd get you out by four ten. 
nobody can see the clock right now because we're not live, but I'm two minutes behind that. Seamus, there are so many other things I want to get into from a development standpoint with you, some of the prospects you've worked with. I think you've just had a fascinating background, all the different influences. I think that just means we have to have a part two one of these days. So uh, I'm going to let you go because I know you got to get into the rink, but thank you so much for sharing your career path with us today. I know a lot of young goalie coaches and young goalies are going to enjoy this conversation. I look forward to hopefully continuing it uh, one of these days down the road. Absolutely. It's been, a, it's been a true pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I, I remember that story about him taking off the gear and I could not believe that he would do it only because like it, it's work to do all that way more uh, that, than it is now. Uh, good on Mark Fitzpatrick used to do that back when he played. He would, after uh, warm up, he would like completely gear down and take his gear off and then gear back up. I just, I never understood that, but uh, interesting process. And a different process for him than it would have been like what most, there's probably young goalies right now that are like, what's the big deal? It's like yeah. two, two Velcro staps. I take the tab off my toe ties. It's all Velcro to zip, zip, zip. Like, no, man, we're talking like leather, leather straps and metal buckles and definitely skate lace toe ties. Like no Velcro back in those days. It was a little bit more work. So, but I, I thought it was interesting because we, and obviously we're just sort of teasing and having fun with superstitions and different habits, but I, I love Obviously, coach's mindset, even in the early days, like that was a reset, right? Take off the old and put it on and it's new. Like it's time to go again. So I thought that was fascinating. Uh, and he's got quite the stable uh, with him. And he's been uh, between scouting and 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 developing. And uh, it's, uh, it's starting to turn the corner there with the Buffalo Sabres and uh, certainly Devin Levi. Yeah, Devin Levi, um, Uko Pekalukinen, you know, a guy who I think I'm not sure they even planned or wanted to necessarily have him in the NHL this year. They wanted to give him more time in the AHL, pressed into duty and was really good before he got hurt. Um, the the young goalie he, that um, he was on his way to, Seamus was on his way to visit tonight. Uh, we did that interview, as he said, from the parking lot. He was on his way in to watch uh, Eric Portillo uh, play. And another, you know, up and coming, you know, good goaltender for the Buffalo Sabres. You know, I think the, the funny thing is, is I, I've had the pleasure of talking to Seamus over the years. And it's, it's one of those interviews. I'm glad we finally got him on. Um, he's a guy that does a lot of great things behind the scenes, but you don't hear a lot about. Um, but doing a lot of great work with the Buffalo Sabres and, and, and some innovative stuff in the way they do things around goalie development and goalie scouting and not all of which he can share, but they, they do some really unique and interesting things there. And it's a guy that uh, has some really great perspectives. And so I was, uh, I was really glad and grateful that he uh, agreed to give us some time today. There's some great insights there. He, he used to always chat with the, the shovelers, the ice cleaners that would come out uh, with the shovels. Uh, Seamus Connick would always chat with them too. It was it, just a, a cool personality. Hey, I promised you guys, uh, the, the men's league thing. We were down seven. We only had six skaters, uh, last night. We were down seven, uh, with a minute to go in the third period. So I just thought, why not? So we pulled the goalie for the extra attacker, uh, down seven. And the other team went down and scored on a breakaway on the empty net. And the referees were a little worried that there might be a brawl. Uh, we were smarter than that because we, we were outmanned by by a lot. But they, the referees did go over to the player and say, what was the point? 
Well, you pulled the goalie. Yeah. You kind of asked for it. We, we, we did, but honestly, in a 7 1 game, there's only one guy that's allowed to score at that point, and that's the other the goalie. goalie. Pass yes. it back to yes. him, boys. Pass it back Definitely. to him. Definitely. I thought I'd I was be, doing him a favor. Yeah, I'd be beaver tailing at the blue line by that point as soon as they were on the breakout. I'd be like coming up to the blue line, tap, tap, tap. Maybe actually, guys, I would be beaver tailing at center ice because I need to be that close to actually hit. The net, yeah. the empty net. I think I, I'm not. I know I'm not allowed to cross center, but you'd probably need to get me to center to have a chance. But I'd be definitely, I'd be the trailer on that rush, going up to to the blue line and just uh, just waiting for that that pass. Hey, what's going on at the uh, the website? Uh, so much is going on on the website. We've had a really busy February. I think we've had probably the most new members join us um, in in February since we started, and I just want to thank everybody who's come along to join us and wouldn't really share anybody's personal information unless they sort of come forward publicly. But I just loved seeing a comment tonight from Paul Lochner, uh, who's a 60 year old goaltender. And he got onto the celebrating goalie day article that Paul Campbell put together and left a comment tonight just to say that he's a, a new member at Ingle and he's really feeling encouraged by everything he, he read. So to to Paul and all the new members, including one NHL goaltender who literally, as we're recording, um, purchased a membership tonight, guys. But again, I said I don't really share your info. Seriously? You an public. NHL goalie just signed up? Literally, as we're talking here. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun when that stuff comes through. Um, so thank you to all those people. And and thank you to, to Kevin for all the great work he's done putting together so much new content uh, over this month. So we've shared a whole bunch of stuff up there. And one of those pieces features, at least on the graphic... The image of a goaltender who has the same career save percentage as Tuka Rask. So there's your trivia question, everybody. I know that uh, Woody and Darren know who that is, but go have a look at the different articles that we've got up this month, and you can find out the answer to the little trivia question, who shares the same career save percentage as Tuka Rask. Hasn't played quite as many games, not nearly as, as many, but I uh, wanted to put that one up there. But there's the Tuka Rask article, guys, which is fantastic. We've got uh, a really great... Um, pro read as, as you know, a new one every week, but I really like the ones with Freddie Anderson. This gets into more of a discussion with Woody talking about rush chances versus in zone chances. I think it's just a fantastic one. Little bit of a controversy out there in the social media world. Kevin posted um, the Panda Post Lock, a new overlap technique. Some say new. I remember Woody. When we put it up, I sent you a note. It's going to be about three seconds before people pile on and say, I've been teaching that forever. If you've only looked at it on social media, folks, before you decide you've been teaching it forever, go have a look at the video at Ingle. Decide if you've been teaching it the same way. If you have, fantastic. You found a solution to a bit of a problem and congratulations to you and all your goaltenders. If you haven't, maybe there's something there that you can try out to modify what you've been doing on the ice. We also have a return of Pete Fry, our good buddy Pete Fry, the goalie mindset guy. Mm -hmm. We haven't had him uh, writing in a while, but he's returned with something on the growth mindset, which uh, is something that if you're in business or education, you've probably heard a ton about, but maybe not quite so much in sports. And uh, so Pete talks about that, and I think it's well worth a look as well. Talking about how it can affect you, whether you already believe that you're a great goaltender or whether you believe that you have no chance of being a great goaltender. If you're mired in, in, and feeling stuck, I think that's just a great article to look at. So lots of great stuff over at Ingle, guys. Do encourage people just to go check it out. Kevin Woodley, 
coming soon, maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, a fresh article. We want to keep all the fresh stuff going. Uh, had a great chat today with David Alexander, St. Louis Blues video uh, goalie coach, uh, going over video that I took last week of the game day warm-up routine of arguably the hottest goaltender in the National Hockey League, Vili Huso, and some really unique elements um, that can be applied actually to drill work as well, not just a game day warm-up drill work, but making some game-specific, making sure you're adding elements of movement, not just static shooting. As much as for some goalies, that's fine. Uh, just some really great insights from David uh, and some great video of Vili going through it. Uh, that we should have up at Ingle, like I said, um, probably for a lot of you by the time you listen to this podcast. So more exciting things to come. Uh, we talked about the Panda Postlock that features Dustin Wolf uh, and Thomas Spear, who are our guests on the podcast last week. We should, we have more with them. The keep away drill uh, for puck handling is up already. We've got some more stuff coming with Wolfie uh, or with Wolfie on hand position. Just lots of good stuff coming in the next couple of weeks here at IngleMag.com. If you don't already subscribe. Uh, I don't know why. Get on it. Yeah, let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, you can check out uh, Rasky Business, the tribute uh, to Duke Rask uh, as he steps away from the that National Hockey League. Uh, thanks to Seamus Kodak. Thanks to Cam over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, and Source for Sports Surrey uh, for being our partner all along in Sense Arena. And of course, uh, you, uh, get on Sense Arena. Uh, challenge me. Let me know how you're doing. And we'll talk to you next week in this uh, journey uh, through the wide world of goaltending. Be safe.